0: Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feezy. So... This is the last in a series that I've been doing on the nature of realisation. And if you're interested in seeing uh, or listening to any other of them, if you want to pick up the red thing in front of you in the chair, that'll give you information as to how to to watch or listen to the other episodes. If you want to be on our mailing list, then that's the blue one in front. Just uh, put that in. So what we've been talking about is, is... How do you realize that those deepest things that you want in your life? And we're doing this because this has been the season of epiphany, uh, which is about revealing. It's about when the three kings, Jesus was revealed to the three kings. And that's that's where epiphany comes from. And we've talked about, you know, how do you sort of, how do you have those things revealed to you? And once they've been revealed to you, like, It was revealed to the three kings that Jesus was going to be, you know, if they followed the star type stuff. And then it was realized when they did the stuff and they arrived there. Now, how do we realize things in our life? And I've been talking about the idea that, you know, we have these whispers that come to us, calling that comes to us from the universal mind or the divine or, or, or our lives. And in order to hear those callings, we have to be in the right space And I talked about the idea of standing on a bridge where we've got our lives in front of us. Everything that's out there is is what we're confronted with, our circumstances. And we're on the bridge between that and our inner lives. All our thoughts, our feelings, everything that's going on within us. And underneath us, so to speak, is the river, which is our breath. And our breath keeps us in the present moment. And if we maintain that, that attention into the present moment then we can connect with what is going on in, in life. And we, we hear those whispers, you know, you know, could my life mean something? You know, could I have more love in my life? How can I develop? You know, you, you get those little thoughts. So I, I talked about, you know, about hearing those, those whispers. And then once you hear those whispers, I said they was saying, you really, you know, to move forward, you have to consent with what's going on in your life. You, have, you know, you, you can't just sort of, you know, I don't want to have this, I don't want to have that, there's something that has integrity about the circumstances that come to us. And we consent, even if we don't like what's going on, to what's going on in our lives, and we participate with what's going on. And once we've we've got into that harmony with our lives, then we have to act, because, you know, if we don't act, then nothing's going to come about. Uh, we have to go forward and act on those desire, uh, those whispers. If, if we think there's a possibility of bringing them about, we have to actually do something about it. Um, and so we, we go forward and we, 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 we act. And then last week I talked about when you're acting, you've really got to be conscious. You have to have an aspect of self-mastery which is not being taken by the circumstances and forced to do things by what's going on, not being forced to do things by what our mind says, but by having an equanimity where we take responsibility for being the adult in the room and then following a path that is revealed to us. It's not a path that we make happen. It's a path that's revealed. And so today what I want to talk about is our commitment to that path. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a commitment to it. And I want to talk about what are the consequences of of being on that path. And I think there are two things that I want to mention today. The first thing is that although we, you know, when we follow our spiritual life, and that's really what we're talking about, is is following the, the spiritual promptings. When we do that, although we act independently to the whispers in our own hearts, collectively we're acting together as a part of the great work of evolution. You know, we're all interdependent. Each of us has our own calling, but together we're called to be part of, I think, a general unfolding of the divine that's within us. And it's in our interdependence that the unified work is accomplished. Even, you know, here in the chapel, the corporateness of us following our own spiritual lives together has a corporate effect. And, you know, that's how evolution of consciousness develops, by people developing along their own way, their own path, but doing it together. What I do affects you, and what you do affects me. And because we're all connected interdependently, in a global way, all of that we do unfolds across all humanity. And and I think that's the key to the idea of what we do matters. Individually, what we do matters because it affects those around us. We may not know how or why or in what way, but the very fact of our connection creates a butterfly effect that echoes around our world. And the work we do in listening for our calling and acting on it is the work that we've been called to do. We've been called to perform those things. And this is why actually we're here. We can only do the work that we're called to do. And if each of us does the work that we're called to do, then we are satisfying our purposes in life. I use that quote from the Bhagavad Gita a couple of weeks ago. It's better to do your own duty badly than to do another one's perfectly. It's better to do your own duty badly than to perfectly do another's duty. Our duty is to respond to the calling from the universe, to act. And through not being distracted, follow the path that's before us. And in doing that, we make a contribution. I mean, all these things are great in theory, but unless you put them into practice, they just remain a theory. You know, I always say that, you know, I end up just doing spiritual stand up here, you know, and, uh, you know, some of it's quite good and stuff like that, but you then leave and, you know, you, that's it. It's, I always say, we're, you know, you end up being a part of the entertainment industry. But really, it is much more serious than that. We have to be prepared to walk that path if, if, if you know, we're serious about it, our spiritual lives. We have to be prepared to really to give up on our own desires and wishes and to live for the life that we've been called to live. And that life that we're called to live might be very different from the life that our mind tells us to live. That's what Jesus meant when he says, Those who love their life in this world will lose it. And those who give up their lives will find eternal life. That's what that means. That if we allow ourselves to follow the path, then we find our lives. He's saying it's our willingness to take us into our calling. That's what will take us into eternal life. And I love that that prayer from Thomas Merton. This is Thomas Merton. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And in fact, I think that I'm following your will. Just because I think that doesn't mean that I am following your will. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I'll never do anything apart from that desire. He's talking about the calling. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know anything about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. As great echoes of Psalm 23, although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's what it's about. It's about following that path. But to follow that path, we do have to commit to it. And today I want you to give you a chance to make that commitment. You know, we think in our minds, oh, this sounds like a good idea. But perhaps you can actually make a commitment to follow that path. For those of you who, who follow these things, this is the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And Ash Wednesday is a day of commitment to the path to Easter. That's, that's where See, we do sometimes follow the church. Although it seems like we're off on the Bhagavad Gita and the Tao Te Ching, deep down there, when it comes down to it... We're on that, Father, and we are on it. We are going towards that. Um, and you know, the the idea is Jesus spent forty years in the desert, forty days in the desert, where he endured temptation. And the temptation, which we all face, is to follow our own path rather than to follow the path that's set before us. Those temptations that Jesus had to turn the stones into bread. To go back to these are the three temptations: to turn the stones into bread so we could eat, to go back to Jerusalem and become a celebrity, and God is not going to hurt you. He loves you. So throw yourself off the top of there because you're special. You know those were the three temptations. You know, and for us, it's you don't have to do this. Make yourself comfortable and take the path that's easiest. Those are the easy paths that were given. <clears throat> Ash Wednesday. Uh, derives its name from... And we do it on, on a Sunday here because no one will turn up on a Wednesday to do anything. Uh, also, it's why we do, it's why always do Good Friday on a Sunday, but part of the fact the Jewish community is here on a Friday, you know, people don't come on a Friday, but we still have these on Sundays. So Ash Wednesday derives its name from the practice of remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That, that's what happens when the ash is put in your forehead is, the, the, is the, the priest will say, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ash represents that dust. And it's a sobering reminder of the transience of all things, that all this will be nothing at some point. <clears throat> As Jim Morrison famously said, no one here gets out alive. And, um, you know, we, we do have to face that. But it's more than that. This idea that we're dust and to dust we shall return also includes all our great plans that we have for our lives that end up as great disappointments. They will end up as dust too. That that lovely line from the Dhammapada, O seeker, rely on nothing until you want nothing. Dust you are and to dust you shall return. Seek the way of Christ in all things. That's the second bit of it. And that's that's what the efficient says. And it represents giving up the path that we forge for ourselves, our great careers, to the path that's set before us. To die to your own life and seek the way of Christ in all things. The way of Christ being oh, another word for the eternal, for being on the path towards (coughs) the eternal. (coughs) And it can be uncomfortable. And our minds don't like that. Our minds want to control our lives so they become more comfortable. It wants to dictate both the outcome and also how we reach that outcome. Our minds want to take us out of the present moment and put us in control so we can organise things properly. It happens all the time that our minds try to vainly control life, which let's face it, is uncontrollable. You're never going to control life. In the four quartets, Eliot sums it up. Um, what our attitude has to be, Eliot says, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope. For hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love. For love would be love of the wrong thing. Yet there is faith. But the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. Wait without thought. For you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light. And the stillness the dancing. I love Eliot. Amazing that he was worked as a you know bank manager at one point. In some, time. I mean, incredible words. It's this sort of terrain that we have to be prepared for, and the ashing is the commitment to move through the dark times when we think, "I don't want to be doing this." I mean, I don't think we should. I just want to be clear: I do not think we should be living in abusive relationships. You know, if, if things need to be changed, then we change them. But sometimes we just don't like what we're having to go through. And it might be about illness. It might be about our our relations with people. You know, sometimes we just have to follow that path. The way is the way, wherever it leads. And our desire is to impose our mind's control over the way to take us in the way that we want to go. To fully inhabit the way is to be prepared for all weathers, to be prepared for all boredom, all hardships, all pointlessness, to be prepared for all sense of failure. We know in our lives, you know, what we want, and sometimes it just doesn't come that way, and we have to be prepared for that. We have to have it all, because it's what we're given on the way, and by facing it now, we prepare ourselves for its eventuality, including death. We prepare ourselves for our death, That lovely thing from Psalm 131. And this is the attitude. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. So the choice is between the infinite opportunities that the mind can conceive to be comfortable and successful or a relationship with the ground of all being, which is the eternal, which is peace. The choice is peace, which I've always said I think everybody wants. In fact, the next course I'm going to do is going to be about being at peace. Peace. And that is the choice that we're making here. To choose the eternal now means to live in one's eternal for the whole of one's life. To live in the eternal for the whole of one's life. So that when the face of death comes, it will be the face of the eternal again. Merely asking you to take the next step in your journey, which has always been into the eternal. When the face of death comes, it will just be another point in the eternal. The only question is whether we follow our minds or enter the heart of Christ. That's what Ash Wednesday is about, making that choice consciously to follow the path of the eternal. I came across this great poem by D.H. Lawrence called The Phoenix. Are you willing to be sponged out, erased, cancelled, made nothing... Are you willing to be made nothing, dipped into oblivion? <clears throat> if not, you will never really change. The phoenix renews her youth only when she's burnt, burnt alive, burnt down to hot flocculent ash. Then the small stirring of a new small bulb in the nest with strands of down like floating ash show that she's renewing her youth like the eagle, immortal bird. So what I'm going to suggest here is I'm going to ask anyone who wants to come up and receive the mark of the ash as a sign of a decision to to follow the path towards the eternal, to follow the way of Christ, to take on those words from Thomas Merton. God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept of God that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I am meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall be saved." So in a moment, Heather and I are going to come out with some a bowl of ash, and just going to invite all those that want to, and if you don't, it's totally fine, so don't, don't feel, there's no forcible ashing here. <coughs> and we're just going to put a mark of ash on, on your forehead, and as you come up, if you do decide to come up, just, you know, in your mind, just, just have that be a commitment that you are going to follow that path that we've been going through over this last five weeks or so, and you're going to invite that. I'm going to say a prayer first. And so we come before you, divine one, dead to ourselves, but alive in you, opening to your living presence and dead to all we thought we were. We now have an opportunity to come forward and take on the ashes of death. From dust we came, to dust we shall return. We open now to the presence of death, to the death we experience in this moment and the death that is to come to us all. Steer us with the guiding power of your love that we may reach towards the light which brings new life in you. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, Subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.